Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Anybody enjoying the snow? You're the hardy ones. The rest are still in bed. All right. I'm not quite sure how I feel about the snow. You know, this year, normally I'm kind of grumpy about the snow, um, just to be honest. Uh, But this year, because we had such a bad drought last year, in fact, at one point, I literally, with a buddy, we rode through the bottom of one of the Bull Creek Reservoirs across the reservoir on dry ground on mountain bikes this summer. So it was really bad up on the Mesa. So I've been really actually pretty happy to see the snow. But I don't know, if it keeps coming, I might start getting a little grumpy here. You know, winter sets in. But hey, let me uh, just tell you where we're going with our teaching over the next couple months. Uh, We're we're launching a brand new series today called Five Years, and it's going to take us through the end of the month. And then we're going to spend a week or two talking about love and relationships. And then we will head back into our verse-by-verse deep dive in the book of Luke. That'll probably take us to Easter. So now, this time of year, we often set goals and make resolutions, don't we? Some of us. Some of you are grumpy about that, kind of like the snow. You're grumpy about resolutions, too. You know, you got burned a couple times. You tried it, and you're like, nah, I don't do any of that, right? But lots of us, when we hit the beginning of the new year, we like to reevaluate. We like to set some objectives, maybe some changes, some tweaks that we need to make. Now, the problem with this, I mean, that's a great thing to do. The problem with this is that oftentimes, if we're honest, our goals are often much too big and at the same time, much too small. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. We dream unrealistically for this present year, but we fail to dream big enough long-term, or that we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. Have anybody heard that before? We overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. Hence the name of the series, Five Years. And so, you know, you've done this before, haven't you? You've made resolutions where you're like, you know, I'm going to go from this to Mr. Universe this year. You know, at the end of the year, I'm competing. You're like, no, you're not, right? Yeah. Or you go to the gym. You start the new year, you go to the gym like three hours a day for the first two days, and then you can't get out of bed. You know, you're walking around like this for the next two weeks. You know, you know you've done that. Or you've gone on a crazy diet, you know, apple cider vinegar and water for three months, you know? Okay, maybe not. You lose like 40 pounds, and then by Thanksgiving, you're back up 50, right? You've had some of those years, too. I can, I, I, I can sympathize with you. I did really good. I did this like really low-carb thing. Um, a number of years ago, dropped by 45 pounds, and actually did pretty well for a while, kept it off, and then I started a church and started stress eating. And so I'm back on the low carb as of Thursday, yeah, no, wait, Wednesday, yeah, okay. Or by the end of the year, I want to make six figures, and you're working at McDonald's right now, but you're reading books about internet startups, you know, that's a big goal, that's a good goal. Might not happen in one year, right? And so a better strategy is to think of like five years from now. Five years from now, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to look like? And then what small steps can I begin to take to get me there? And don't miss next week, because we're going to get really practical next week and give you what I think is one of the most vital tools in actually getting to your goals. But here's the truth. The truth is that five years is enough to accomplish some incredible things. Oftentimes, one year, we we overestimate. We end up disappointed. But five years is enough to accomplish some incredible things. 
And we tried this last night and it went over great. Uh, and they were really funny. So I'll see if you guys are awake. What are some things, you're gonna have to like shout it out. What are some things you might be able to accomplish in five years or theoretically someone in the room might be able to accomplish in five years if you wanted to? Student loans, yeah. You could bust out maybe your student loans and be out of debt. In fact, if you put your mind towards it, you did that online Dave Ramsey course, you got serious about it, you could wipe out all of your consumer debt, quite possibly. Some of you could be mortgage-free. You've got 15 years left or 10 years left. If you put your mind to it, you could be completely out of debt, right? And be at a whole different spot financially. What's something else? Be a grandmother. I don't know about that one. You might need to talk to your son or daughter about that one. They probably have something to do with that. Yeah. But you never know, right? You, you could, might accomplish that. What's something? Last night, we had someone on the, right over here in the second row. They already have four kids, and the wife goes, have three kids. I'm like, okay, you're going to be busy. So what else? Send a kid to college. That's right. Graduate college, yeah. You could, if you know, you, some of you, you're, you're going to graduate college because you're going off to it. Others of you, it might be the year where you say, you know what, in five years, I could go back to college, and five years from now, I could have a degree and be in a completely different place opportunity-wise, right? Maybe that's something that God places on your heart to do, and you think, you know what, this is the direction I'm supposed to go. Now, maybe, maybe college isn't for you, but in five years, you could acquire a completely new marketable skill. You could master a new skill, couldn't you? Be in a completely different place when it comes to opportunity. What, what are some other things? That's all. You guys aren't quite awake enough. <laughs> One guy in the second row lesson, he's like, I just want to live. He's a little older. He's like, maybe I'll be here in five years. I'm like, we sure hope so. Another guy says, Maybe I'll remember my wife's birthday. I'm like, dude, you can't wait five years for that one. You got to get that one done this year, right? You got to do it. You know what? You could, you could become a, at really good at an instrument if you wanted to, couldn't you? I mean, you could master, come pretty close to mastering an instrument if you set your heart and mind to it. Um, gal, I won't embarrass her, in the front row, a couple years ago, she's like, I'm trying to bug in her husband about playing the guitar, and he's like, no, nah, I don't want to do it, right? And so she's like, I'll do it. So she just learns from YouTube, learns the bass, and she's getting really good at it, right? She's getting really good at it. You could master an instrument if you set your, heart, your mind to it. You could be fluent in a language if you, if you worked at it. And just with a few minutes a day, right? There's all sorts of stuff you could do. Or, or, or young men in the room, you could be a world-class gamer, now, I don't recommend that you make that your five-year goal because probably you want to grow up and meet someone and get married, okay? And so uh, couch, probably not the best bet for you. Okay, just saying that, putting that out there. Or, or you know what? I mean, let's bring this down. You could transform your spiritual life, right? You could be in a completely different place in your spiritual life. You know, if you, if you read just two chapters of the Bible per day, you could go through the Bible three times in five years and have a whole different understanding of God's truth. If you do our Bible plan, you could go through the Bible in one year and only about 15 minutes a day, right? Some of you, you'll, you'll get through some of it and then you'll pick it up and start it again next year because you ran out of steam somewhere along the way. That's okay, just keep working on it, right? 
It's not, it's, I, I believe in, in, in quality and consistency more than quantity, right? But that habit of daily getting the word of God into you. And then when the enemy starts to whisper lies in your ear about who you are, you know, accusations and stuff, you can counter those because all of a sudden you have the truth of God's word hidden in your heart, right? Your prayer life. You could be that much closer to God if you made that. If you decided to make genuine community, to really get involved in the church family and make genuine community and get in a group and have people around you. In five years, your life could be in a completely different place when it came to your relationships because you've been encouraged by others to pray and seek the Lord and trust in him and come together and support each other. You could be in a completely different place in your spiritual life. And it would, in fact, impact your marriage and your family and all of that, right? There's all kinds of things. Or you could do none of those things, right? And at the end of five years, you could just be more of who you are today, couldn't you? Because here's this romantic thing we do. We like to think about the future us, and because the future us is out there five years or 10 years, we think somehow magically we're gonna turn into the future us that's in our mind. Just by, you know, osmosis. It doesn't work that way, does it? The truth is, unless you choose to change something, unless you evaluate where the path you're on is taking you, in five years, you're just going to be you. You're just going to be a little older, maybe wiser, but honestly, probably just more set in your ways, unless you become intentional about your life. The things you are struggling with right now, unless you choose to address them, are just going to become worse, right? If you're harsh and angry right now, chances are you're going to end up harsher and angrier. If you choose to, to become more kind and more loving, that's who you'll become, right? You reap what you sow. That's the principle, isn't it? And five years isn't really that long, right? You're going to blink, and five years are going to be by. I know if you're you know, in your teens or 20s, five years sounds like a long time, but trust me. You're going to blink, and you're going to go, where'd five years go, right? And five years from now, you can be the same person you are now, except for just exaggerated a little bit. You know, your nose will be a little bit bigger, because that's the one thing in your body that keeps growing. <laughs> go figure, right? You'll just be an exaggerated version of yourself unless you change something. And so throughout this series, this month, it's a great time of the year to think through this kind of thing. My main goal is to get you to evaluate your life and your goals, and not just think short-term. Not just think, you know, what do I want to do this year? You know, I want to get in the best shape of my life. That's great. Go for it. Do it, you know? But more of what, what kind of lifestyle can I set in place where in five years I will be the person that I want to be? And more importantly, the person who God wants me to be. That I will accomplish some important things in this life, but more importantly, I will accomplish what God wants me to accomplish. So we're going to really talk about this question over the next four or five weeks, and that is this. In five years, what might God accomplish in and through me? In five years, who does God want me to be? And then what does God want me to accomplish in this world? And I'm going to start, we're going to start out, actually, throughout this whole series, we're going to draw some inspiration from the life of one of the most famous people in history. We're still talking about this guy. He lived 3,500 years ago. And I bet every one of you, before you walked through those doors, you knew his name and something about him. And his name is Moses. And I'll start by just telling you how he got on the scene, the historical context. 
So there's another really famous guy that you've also heard of. His name's Abraham. He lived 4,000 years ago, about 2,000 years before Jesus walked on the planet. And God appears to him and promises him that all nations will be blessed through his descendants. And then that amazing promise was fulfilled 2,000 years later when Jesus Christ came into the world. He died. He rose again so that anyone who trusts in him can have life and relationship with God. All nations blessed. You're here today because of a 4,000-year-old promise that God made to Abraham. And so God takes Abraham and sets him out and shows him the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel, and says all of this land would belong to your descendants. It's called the promised land. But then God says, but in the meantime, here's what's going to happen. Your people will go down to Egypt. They'll become slaves. But after 400 years, I will redeem them, and I'll bring them back to this promised land. And that's where we pick up the text. And actually, um, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 7, you're like, wait a minute, we're talking about Moses. I'm going to read out of Acts, because Luke, the author of Luke, this is the second volume he writes of his account of Jesus and then Jesus' early followers. And he, as he tells us, um, a stirring speech by the first martyr named Stephen, Stephen condenses the life of Moses down into just a few lines instead of two whole chapters. So we're going to skip two chapters and condense the life of Moses down and talk about it. And then we're going to go back to Moses' own account of himself in Exodus chapter 3. And I think that's pretty significant as we get going in this, because someday somebody will condense your life down to just a few lines, right? And it's one of those things to think through. What do you want your life to say when that happens? Here we go. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people, the people of Israel in Egypt, had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. Terrible time in the history of Israel. Verse 20, at that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. And when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. Now, so Moses is placed, if you remember the story, he's placed in a basket made of reeds, right? Prince of Egypt, you've seen the cartoon probably, and he's placed on the river and set afloat down the river where they know the princess will be, will be out bathing. And sure enough, little sister follows him and princess finds him and pulls him out of the water, has mercy and compassion on him and ends up adopting him, right? Um, funny story, when, when uh, one of our dogs, when, when I was growing up, uh, somebody left this yellow lab mutt kind of thing on the, uh, the steps of the church basket on the steps. And some friends of ours took this dog home and named it Moses for obvious reasons, right? And so they took the dog home. The dog was way too wild for them. And so they gave the dog to us because we had more land. And so they figured this dog will do better with you. So dog came with us. We found out it was a girl. And so we changed the name to Mosey. And she was quite the interesting dog. Eventually, she ran off and adopted another family that fed her Alpo and bologna down the road. She'd come and visit us every once in a while, but yeah. So that's my personal connection with this story. But anyway, 
Moses, Moses. He is raised in the lap of luxury, right? I mean, he is, has every advantage in life. He learns, I mean, he's raised up in the ways of the Egyptians. He's a, he's a young prince. He learns to walk like an Egyptian, right? And talk like an Egyptian. And then one day, he decides to go slumming. It says this in verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit, visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. Because remember, they're slaves, but not Moses. You know, he's living, been living the high life. So he went, to, he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. And this is really interesting. Listen to this verse. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. And if you want to jot something down here, I'm going to have five little things, five observations when it comes to, uh, when it comes to evaluating your life through the lens of, you know, who, what does God want to accomplish in me and through me over the next five years? In five years, what, what could God accomplish? I have five little observations that might help you as you evaluate that. And the first one is this, five suggestions. Think long-term be not simply short-term do. Grammar teachers, don't correct me. I know it's not right. Think long-term be, not simply short-term do. And a classic error that people make is thinking short-term instead of long-term. And Moses comes up with a short-term fix in his life. I know, he knew, we see from that scripture, he knew God had him here for an incredible purpose. He knew God had raised him up and he put two and two together and figured, wow, the fact that I am, you know, was set on the river and rescued and adopted by a princess and now I'm a prince of Egypt, clearly God has me here for a great purpose and he's gonna use me to redeem my people. I'm the man. And you know what? He was right. God had him there for a great purpose, right? God would use him to redeem his people, to be the agent of change but he had the timing way wrong. He was cocky. He was proud. He thought he could get this thing done on his own, right? And so what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. He thinks, nobody will ever know. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Apart from the sovereignty of God, God has an amazing way of working these things out. This could have completely derailed the plan that God had for his life, right? Here's what you need to know about this. Doing things in God's ways and God's time is as important as getting the job done that God's calling you to do. A lot of times we like to separate the two. Here's, what I'm, here's a good thing to do. However I get to it, doesn't matter. No, no, it's critical to do things in God's way and do things in God's time. And man, we, we cut corners all the time on this, don't we? In all kinds of different ways in our lives. We don't, we don't like putting in patient hard work, do we? You know, the problem with so many things in life is it's hard and it's, it's tedious and it takes a while. The problem with five years, it's five years, right? It takes a while to get to a, a longer term goal. I mean, if you want to, you know, become Mr. Universe, you don't get that done overnight, do you? If you want to play in the NFL playoffs, you don't get there just by talent, do you? There's plenty of guys with great talent. You get there by putting in the reps and the hard work and running the drills over and over and over again and getting up early when you would rather not. That's the way life works, isn't it? We cut corners all the time. And then we prioritize short-term goals over long-term fulfillment and joy, don't we? 
I mean, if I could sit down and ask you about some of, the, some of the things in your life and we had an honest conversation, you would probably admit, yeah, I realize I am trading my long-term happiness for some short-term gratification in, in this area of my life or in that area of my life, wouldn't you? I'm trading it. And you, you would say that's not a good trade if we were talking honestly. But oftentimes we don't stop and consider it that way, do we? We prioritize success over all else. So many people have lost their families in the process. Maybe you have some stories. Maybe you could tell some of the younger people in the room, man, I wish I would have done this differently because you were so, so committed to success in an area that you missed out on a lot of what life is really about. Hey, this time of year, everybody's back at the gym, right? That's that's a good thing. You're like, where'd all these people come from? All these new members. Wow, they must be doing great. Now they've been members all year. All right, they're just back. Some of you are like, that's me, right? They're just back. But you know, we can prioritize our body over our spirit and our soul, can't we? In our culture, this is a big thing. It's almost an idol in our culture, actually. We can prioritize adventure over being a real integrated part of the body of Christ, over being consistent, or over having biblical community. I just don't have enough time for that in my life. I'm too busy, right? The thing is that real, genuine community doesn't happen overnight. And when you need it, if you don't build it, it won't be there, right? That's why getting plugged into groups and getting genuine community around you is so important. Or relationships. Did you see him? I just want it now, right? Instead of prioritizing and saying, you know what? No, I'm going to wait on God to bring the person who shares my faith, shares my values. That's, that's, that's hard. We don't like doing that one, do we? Or I want this gratification right now physically in this relationship instead of saying, no, we're going to wait and we're going to do it God's way because we believe that ultimately will bring us joy in our lives. See, God's guidelines are given to us for our joy and our fulfillment. And so often we don't stop to realize that. We prioritize doing instead of being all the time, don't we? Tasks. I bet if you look at your resolutions, most of them have to do with what you want to accomplish versus who you want to become. You need to start with who do you want to become? What kind of father? What kind of husband? What kind of wife? What kind of student? What kind of follower of Jesus do you want to become? Who do you want to become? And then let the what flow out of, out of that. Let the do flow out of the be. It's critical. And here's what God knows. God knows that this hothead Moses is not ready to lead anything yet. Is not ready to redeem and be part of the process of anything yet. He's just going to mess things up on his own. And so... God allows the, the, the deed to come to the light. Check this out. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, man, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And all of a sudden, this, this thing that seemed like a good idea, a rash move at the time, but he justified it. Yeah, well, I, maybe it's not right, but I'm the redeemer. He was cocky, walked with a swagger. 
Verse 29, when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian because he hears the word is out. Actually, the Pharaoh finds out about it. Pharaoh launches a plan to kill him. And so Moses, he's out of there, right? Where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Now, everybody, let's read this last verse together. After 40 years, one more time, after 40 years had passed. 40 years. Can you imagine that? Moses is out in the desert. He becomes a shepherd. Shepherd gives you know, him and his daughter, gets married, settles down, has a family. As far as he's concerned, this is just his life from here on out, right? I'm going to watch the sun come up and go down. Woohoo! That's it, right? 40 years. But here's the thing to remember. God wasn't done with him. God wasn't done with him. I considered calling this series 40 years instead of five years, but I figured none of you would come back to week two. <laughs> like, I can't wait that long. But here's the thing. Some of you feel like you've been in the desert going on 40 years. Some of you feel like for a season of your life, and you're thinking, God must be done with me, right? I blew it big time. God doesn't have anything left for me to do that's important in this world. I'm too far gone. I'm getting too old, all that. God had big plans for Moses. And that's where we head back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses, now Moses, was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Forty years. This is all I'm, this is all I'm doing. Got a couple sons. They're going to raise up. going to have some grandbabies. Going to die. Verse 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Because when you're a shepherd and there ain't nothing going on in the desert and there's a bush burning that doesn't burn up, what do you do? Of course, you're going to go over and look at it, right? When there's real strange coincidences and things that God puts in your life, pay attention to those. He may be trying to communicate something important to you. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. If you're taking notes, jot this down as you evaluate five years, the next five years of your life. Don't miss the moments when God is prompting you. Don't miss the moments when God is prompting you. And you know, for you and me, chances are you're not going to see a burning bush, right? God was so clear for Moses because he had such a huge task for Moses, and it was going to be monumentally difficult. When we were preparing to plant the church years ago, um, this pastor, Jay Pathak, from the front range, I was starry-eyed telling him about some of the ways God had been like leading us and prompting us. He's like, well, if it's that clear, you know what that means? I said, no. He said, it means it's going to be that hard. I'm like, oh, thanks, you know? But here's the thing. Oftentimes for you, it's not going to be a burning bush, like amazing experience in your life. It's going to be the still, small voice of God. I've only had a few times in my life where I'm like, wow, blown away, kind of not a burning bush. Never seen that. 
One time, I've told you this story before, but one time in Fiji, as I was trying to leave the mission field, God literally broke two taxis in a row on a smooth paved road. The strut where it attached to the frame of the car was sheared off. Crazy, crazy thing, right? And I knew that I knew in that moment. Um, I mean, it made no sense. But we turned around, I went back and stayed on the mission field because I knew that was God speaking to me in such a clear way, and I was trying to leave when I shouldn't have been leaving. Sometimes God does speak to you in dramatic ways, but oftentimes it's just the, his prompting. It's his still small voice. It's that tap on your shoulder. Hey, you need to go speak to your neighbor or your coworker. Hey, you need to ask so-and-so if I can pray for them. You're scared to death. You need to do it, right? Don't miss when God's prompting you. Oftentimes it's that scripture verse as you're reading through scripture that just pops off the page and you know, that's for me today, right? God's trying to get my attention on that. It's that conviction that comes. As you know, you're ignoring something over and over, and he just keeps tapping. He just keeps whispering in your ear, hey, you need to take care of that. You need to deal with that. Don't miss when God is prompting you. Sometimes it is big things, dramatic things, and weird things. Pay attention to the things that God is trying to communicate. It's also why it's so important to, to, to consistently worship together with the body of Christ, to be, to, to be under biblical teaching. Because some of the biggest moments God has spoken to me have been when I've been sitting out in, in chairs and God wants to have something, a truth that's for me, that he wants to encourage me about. And, and average Christian only goes to church about once or twice a month these days. It's what, what might your spiritual life be like if in this year you really engaged? You really engaged. You made it a priority. We're going to be consistent. And if we can't be there, we're going to listen. We're going to go online and listen to the podcast. Now, that's not a replacement for worshiping together, is it? But it's a great way to stay connected through series like this as we go through them and to allow the truth of God to be consistently applied to your life. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying. Now check this out. Who's this about? I've heard them crying, my people in Egypt. Heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good, spacious land. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Did you catch that? Who is this mission all about? Them, 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 them. And one of my favorite things to remind you of, you want to write this down if you haven't, and remember it, is this. Don't forget that life is for you, but not about you. This is something we need to be reminded of over and over and over again, especially at the new year. Look at your resolutions. Are they all about just you becoming a better version of you? You, you, you. It's me, 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 right? Or are you thinking, what does God want to accomplish through me for the sake of others? It's about God. Life is about God. You are created with a purpose. Your life is not worth living for yourself, to be honest with you. That's much too small of a thing to live for. And if you focus solely on yourself, you will end up miserable, unfulfilled, and not be a much fun to be around either. It's about those you're called to serve and what God wants you to accomplish in this world. Life is for you. God wants you to enjoy it. 
God wants you to find pleasure and joy in it, but it's not about you. You get those two mixed up, you will not be a happy person. Here, the reason we're talking about Moses 3,500 years later is because he gave himself away in the service of others. Do you see this shift here? There's this major shift. First time around, it was all about him. I'm the redeemer. God's got a call on my life. I'm a great man, right? I'm going to kill this Egyptian. It's all about him. He comes back humbled. He ain't walking with a swagger anymore, right? He comes back humbled, and he comes back focused. And from this point on, he gives his life away day after day after day for the sake of the people that God had called him to serve. Man, make your goals for five years bigger than yourself, bigger than your little world, bigger than your little kingdom. Verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. That's a game changer. I will be with you. Chapter four, verse one, Moses answered, what if, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? What if, God? Verse 10 of chapter four, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, because God gives him this whole like, okay, okay, here's how it's gonna work. You know, if they ask you who I am, here's what you say. You're gonna, here's a staff. You're gonna do some amazing things with it. God shows them some incredible signs. But he's still like, I can't do this. Pardon me. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And you might wanna write this down. As you evaluate your life, and where you want to head. What ifs, who am I's, and have never been's will derail you if you let them. And some of you, this is the main thing that's holding you back is you just don't think, you know, you don't know my past. You don't know. I've never been. Who am I? God, I'm, I'm not good enough. The truth is, yeah, you're right. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He is with you. The same thing he says to Moses. Jesus says, I will never leave you, right? I will be with you, surely, till the end of the age. The author of Hebrews repeats it. God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you. You're not good enough in and of yourself. But he has something he wants to do in and through you. And what ifs, what ifs, what ifs? Man, those kind of fears stop us all the time, don't they? God, my, my past, you know my past? Yeah, Moses was a murderer. And God chose to use him in a remarkable way. And, and, and part of that is, hey, let me just speak to people that think they're getting a little older in the room, you know? Here's the thing. Don't convince yourself that the best days are behind you or your most effective days are behind you. Don't go on autopilot. Don't check out. Don't think, ah, okay, I, I did my deal and now, you know. No, no. How old was Moses when God chose to begin the next 40 years of his life? The most productive ministry that he would do. 80, right? The next chapter may be some of the most effective time of your life. And if you're a young person in the room, even today, I mean, you think, you know, you're in your 20s or 30s and, you know, some of your best days were behind you. No. God has amazing things in store for you. 
But if you let these stop you, they will. Verse 11, the Lord answered, said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses hasn't done objecting. This time he straight out just says, no, God, check this out. Some of you have said this before, right? Verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Some of you have had those conversations with God, haven't you? As God's been saying, hey, I want you to do this. Please send somebody else. But if God is calling you, he will equip you to do whatever it is he's calling you to do. And so verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Now pause for a second because you're like, scary God. No, no, let me just ask you if you're here and you have children. How many of them you've had some of these kind of conversations with your children where they just keep arguing with you? You know they can do it. They're like, I can't ever do it, right? Or, or you, you've asked them to do something. They're like, no, 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 right? And how many of you, your anger has burned against them, and yet you still love them more than anything? Come on, be honest. <laughs> I'm raising my hand, right? Yes. See, God is a good father, and he's frustrated right now because he knows that you are equipped. And he knows what he's called Moses to do. And he knows what he's planted in your heart to do. And you can do it. But sometimes you need community. You need community. Check this out. So God said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. And this is a freebie. It's not the main point. But you need community along the way. You need community. You were not meant to live the Christian life on your own. You were meant to have community around you. Life groups is something we offer. It's one of the best ways to get involved with a community of other believers who can pray for you. We've got a men's group that meets. There's some great ways to do that. Some of you, you have your own little group of, of guys or gals, and you get together, you pray for each other, you encourage you. That's, that's great. But you need community around you. You are not designed to do following Jesus all by yourself. Okay? There should be no Lone Ranger Christians. It's just not the way God designed it. And so get in community. Join a life group. Get involved. Get some people around you who will pray for you and encourage you You'll be glad you did. And so Moses says, yes, he obeys. He returned to Egypt, him and Aaron. Verse 29, this is how this section concludes. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Last little thing to jot down if you're taking notes is this. Remember that courage is action in spite of fear. You got that? You know, there's this myth that courageous people are just bold all the time and step into it. No. Many times we're much more like Moses when God calls us to do something, are we? aren't we? And God knows that. You know what? All you need is enough courage to say yes and to take the first step. You, you probably won't see down the road where God's calling you, but you know the next step that he's calling you to take. And all you need is enough courage to take that step 
And too often times we let the five or 10 years down the road stop us from taking the first step. We know what God's calling us to do to take it. We have the courage to take the first step, but we're scared of what the 10th step will be. You just got to take the first step and then trust that he's going to give you what you need to take the next step and the next step and get you to the place where he's leading you. And some of you are letting fear stop you from something that you know God is calling you to do, from something that you know you're supposed to do. Don't let it stop you. Just have courage to take action, to take the next step in spite of your fear. Back to the scripture for just a moment. I just want to highlight this. Did you see this? What does this result in when people say yes to God, when Moses said yes to God? They believed and it resulted in worship. And here's what happens when you and I say yes to God. When we take the next step towards what God is calling us to do, it results in other people being drawn towards him. It results in other people coming into relationship or back into intimacy with him and to be drawn towards him and into worship of him. And so let me just leave you with the question we started with. In five years, what might God accomplish in and through me? What might happen in my life if, if I got to the thing that God was calling me to do? What might happen in my life if I begin to take some small steps toward it? And let me tell you, don't miss next week because there's an incredible key. One of, the, one of the things I think is the biggest keys to actually getting to the place where you want to be in five years. You know, let me just close by telling you a quick personal story. When we planted this church six years ago, we started over in a little event center next door that's now the gym section. I've told the story before. At the end of the first year, we had this beautiful two-year plan, and that got bumped up to a one-year plan uh, to transition to going full-time with this thing. We had to decide if we wanted to do that. And if I had made my decision off of how we were doing at the end of the first year, we would have quit. We would have never continued because things weren't working nearly as fast as I hoped they were, were, would go. It wasn't going nearly as well, right? I mean, like on a really good night, we were like 35 people, you know? I mean, the giving was just barely covering the rent, and I had to take on my salary. How was that going to work, you know? That wasn't going to work. But we knew that God had called us into this. He'd been so clear about it. And if we had based our decision off the end of the first year, we would have quit. But over the last five years, I am blown away as I see what God did. I mean, end of the first year, we were just thinking, is he going to bring any more people? But we knew he was calling, so we just took the next step after the next step. And I'm blown away by what he did. He's brought all of you, many people. People have found Jesus and been baptized. He's allowed us to purchase this whole property, which just blows me away. We had, it wasn't on our radar, right? We didn't think we could, God would allow us to accomplish that in five years. Wow. We've been able to, over the last year, plant churches in the ends of the earth like Myanmar. Send multiple teams, build multiple houses in Mexico, all kinds of people, sending people to Africa. God's doing all kinds of neat things. God's encouraging families to be discipled and growing lives and children are meeting Jesus. Youth are being encouraged in the ways of God. But if we had based our decision to keep going on a one-year goal, we would have never done it. That's why thinking long-term is so, so important. And so in your life, in five years, what might God want to accomplish in you and through you?
Who might God want you to become? What kind of husband? What kind of father? What kind of wife? Who does God want you to become in five years? And what might he want to accomplish? Would you stand? I'm just going to pray over you. Father, thank you so much for my friends. Would you give them the courage to take the step you're calling them to take? Would you allow them to evaluate their life from a long-term perspective and even beyond five years from an eternal perspective? That they would see their life through the lens of eternity. That they would dream big about what you might do in them and through them for the sake of your glory and your kingdom and for the sake of those you've called them to serve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.